Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome in here. We got a very special guest today, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. We're going to be talking all things draft, the Russian invasion, who the Kings take at number 19. Stay tuned to find out. How's it going, Scott? It's been a while. We had you on in the beginning of the season. How's uh, how's your year been? Yeah, it's been busy. I uh, wrote and submitted a manuscript on my first book. I moved. We actually just uh, moved out of Toronto to the suburbs here. Uh, sold our place in Toronto. Uh, had a kid, so it's been it's been a crazy year. This year has been a, a big one for my wife and I, for sure. Yeah, it sounds like it. I remember the last time we had you on the the. Boy, the baby was pretty I now I don't remember the exact age but he was an infant if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and uh, the book I think you were in the editing stages or kind of finalizing and uh, we're still projected for the fall yep October 4th it'll be out I will actually be sharing uh, the cover and links to pre-order and all of that next week they awesome. kind of don't at the publisher they don't really let you share it until four months in advance uh so the four months in advance is is next week so uh excited to to finally sort of have it out there in the world at least digitally and then it'll actually be in stores on on october 4th awesome and the kid the kid the kid's now one kid move what else can you mix into the into the into the factor he just had his birthday last weekend so it's been it's been nice awesome well good you want to do i want to plug it for everybody who didn't listen to the last one which uh what's coming out and what the book is about yeah, the book is called On the Clock, Behind the Scenes with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the NHL Draft. And it is 20 stories from that take you right from their very first pick, Walt McKechnie in the, in the early 60s when the draft was first created. And before the 60s, obviously, it never existed. And teams just recruited and signed players uh, a lot like they do in soccer. And it'll take you right through all, all of the big stories, the Austin Matthews, how he was picked, et cetera, et cetera. And also tell stories that people have never heard before of decisions made at the draft table and uh, gonna rock some worlds with some of the players that the Leafs nearly picked, but didn't and that kind of a thing. So uh, it, that that piece of it is was a lot of fun. I, I've spent the last two years interviewing GM scouts, former players, 
uh, it's it's been great. And and this the stories that uh, I ended up telling, I'm really really happy with and proud of. So uh, yeah, that'll be out. It'll be out uh, October fourth. Nice, congratulations. Thank you. So Joe, why don't you kick us off here with uh, the first question? Yeah, so I, I think that that what you know what we're all wondering in, in kind of a, a grand scheme. Obviously, we're much more Kings focused, but there's a lot of talk around this first overall pick. Shane Wright seemed mm-hmm. to be the consensus, but maybe less so the consensus of late, um, depending on where you look or who you talk to. Uh, what say you? Well, it's funny the timing of this call because I'm literally in the final hours of finishing up my final top 100, which will be out next Monday. And I kind of submit it usually four or five days in advance that they have plenty of time to edit it because it's a monster. And then over the course of the next few days, I'll be in Buffalo for the combine. And I might make a tweak here or there, but it's it's mostly a finished product. And then the, the combine is just a way of sort of asking questions about a couple of specific guys that I want to learn more about and sort of around the edges stuff. Uh, so the, it, it's been it's been at the front of my mind, I'll tell you that. Uh, and more at the front of my mind, the Shane Wright question, than it, I expected it would be coming into this year. I thought he was going to be the, the sort of pole-to-pole number one pick. And I still think he is and still think he will be. And spoiler alert, he's going to be number one on my list, all of that. Uh, but it's more of a conversation. It's more of something that you have to sit with and consider uh, and and spend a lot of time thinking about now than it was heading into the year where he'd had that brilliant 15-year-old season and then he was ar- arguably the best player or close to the best player uh, down in Texas last year as an underager on the U18 team. So uh, it, 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 the stars were aligning heading into this year and then he had a good year, but he didn't have a great one. He didn't have the the truly sort of exceptional status kind of season that he had two years ago as a 15 year old in Kingston and just didn't really follow that up and get people really excited about him. I still think he's going to be a heck of a player. I'm still a big fan of the way Shane Wright plays the game, his tools, all of that. Uh, but there, there's a little bit more of a pause now uh, before ultimately coming to the, the same conclusion, which is that I, I think that he's the number one pick. Is Lovkovsky making his, his headway up to number one for some people because of his success at the Olympics and, and playing against men and, and the competition that he's playing with uh, as of late? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big part of it. He's he, You see it in a bigger way with his game. First of all, he's just bigger than Shane. Shane's six foot one and looks like a professional athlete and is a very athletic, well-built, muscular kid, all of that. Uh, but Slavkovsky, he just stands out. You, you can't help but notice him on the ice. He's got a little bit of a hunch to his stride, which also kind of makes you notice him. Uh, but beyond that, he, he stands out with his ability to sort of pull pucks through his feet and these unbelievable hands and the toe drags. And uh, those are things that really grab hold of you when a player is six foot four, six foot three and a half like he is. Uh, and then on top of that, he's done it on huge stages repeatedly this year. He didn't just do it at the Olympics. He didn't just do it at Holinka. He didn't just do it at the Worlds. He's done it at, on three huge stages now. And I think that can mask a little that his season in, in in Liga was good, but it wasn't it wasn't special, if you will. Uh, so I do think some of the the international stages where everybody's watching him uh, can can sort of give him a maybe a little bit more credit than he deserves. But he's still a fabulous player. He's probably going to be, I think, the second overall pick. Uh, uh, he just fits in really well with what the New Jersey Devils are trying to do and sort of fits in relative to where their other prospects are and what their other prospects look like. 
So I think stylistically, he's a great fit there, especially if Shane goes one. Uh, but I mean, he's, he's a fascinating, exciting package. I do think there's more risk with Slavkovsky in terms of hitting his ceiling than there is with some of those uh, other top players at the top of the draft, which is actually a little odd to say, considering how can it be a risk when he's doing it already against NHLers. Uh, but I just, I, I'm not sure he's going to hit that next echelon that, that a lot of people think he's capable of reaching. So um, an interesting conversation has developed for sure around Slavkovsky and he's a top five player on my board now, whereas he was more of a six to 10 guy for most of the year. Uh, so I, I'm a big believer in him as well, but probably wouldn't be my guy first overall. And I, I think the conversation with him really starts at two, three, four. You know, as you kind of go through, you mentioning the the two, three, four, and it, it later in the or earlier early on, he may have been in that six to ten range. In the Kings organization, Mark Unetti has talked about kind of drafting in in tiers. He's got tiers of players that they like to pick from. In this particular draft, depending on where you where you read or get your information from, this this the tier could break in that ten to thirteen range ish. Mm -hmm. Do you see it something similar like that? For so two questions on a, a two parter on the tiers. Where where do you see kind of the tiers in this draft? Uh, perhaps in the first round at least. And mm -hmm. then do you do you kind of agree or like that approach of going at it in a tier structure like that? Yeah, I do. And, and my lists are built with tiers in them. Uh, I always map out the typically there ends up being five or six of them within my top 100. Uh, obviously, at the top, they're much smaller, tend to be sort of normally four or five players off the top. And then a tier that typically runs from six to 11 or 12 in an average draft class. What makes next year so exciting is that you've got that brilliant top of the draft with Connor Bedard and Matt Vemichkov. But I have also said and expect that I think I'm probably going to have that top tier, which typically drops off at 11 or 12 on my list. That could be 16, 17, 18 players, right? And that's a spec. Then you've got a special draft. Then you've got 2015, where you had Nico Rantanen and you just kept going down the list. It wasn't just Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel. There were 20 stars in that draft. And next year could be the same. This year is a little trickier. I have a clear five and then I drop off from six to 12, like is pretty typical. There are a couple of players in the very next tier that I have, which runs from 13 to about the mid 20s. There are a couple of players at the front of that 13 to 25, 26 tier that I have, who I strongly considered adding into that, that upper tier, that six to 12 tier. Uh, one of them, Denton Matichuk, who will be my, my number 13 ranked prospect, uh, was uh, really close, went back and forth on, on whether he was in that group of 12 or not. Uh, but my, my group of 12 is, is the two top defensemen in the draft and then 10 forwards that I really, really like. And those two top defensemen are consensus at this point, and we can get into them, uh, Simon Nemec and, and David Yerichek. Uh, but the 10 forwards that I have in that group are not consensus. Uh, probably seven or eight of them are. Seven or eight of them are in everybody's tier at the top there. And then there are two or three forwards that I like in that group who could be available into the teens, into the sort of late teens, early 20s. And I'm just a little bit higher on them than most. So um, that's that's not a surprise. That's how my board normally looks. Uh, but there, there's definitely, I would say, eight, maybe nine players in this draft class that are just about in every team's top 12, top 13. So those players are, are have developed a pretty strong consensus. And then there are maybe another group about that large 
uh, where it's it's about a consensus that they're in every team's top 20 as well. So uh, th- there's there's definitely 17, 18 kids in this draft that everybody really likes. Uh, and then it really widens after that. Uh, but my, my group, I've narrowed that 17, 18 kids into my own kind of 12. Does that make things more difficult when it kind of, you mentioned there's 17, 18, that, that there's a somewhat of a consensus on, and then after that, it can get a little crazy. That Does that make things that much more difficult for, for what it is that you do when you, you compile these lists because it can just kind of go anywhere? Definitely. Uh, I mean, it just, just the fact that my list really does run 26 players deep this year uh, speaks to the fact that I've, I've added to that group uh, and gotten comfortable with players beyond that 17, 18 this year. There are now seven or eight players that I've, I feel are in that same group. Uh, and every team's about the same. I, I think there's the 18 that are in every range. And then typically you find a, a handful of guys in that next group that you feel have separated themselves. So uh, this draft's no different. Uh, I feel really good about my 26, but the, if if you were to sort of match my 26, those those eight names of mine are, are going to look almost a lot different than most teams. So um, it, it's tricky. Uh, that's where you have to trust yourself. You have to trust where you're at as an evaluator. You have to lean into what you believe in and what you've identified as the things that will project into NHL players. Uh, and you have to, you really just have to count on yourself. I think there can be some hive mind that develops uh, even in the twenties and thirties and forties, both with NHL clubs and especially in the public sphere where everybody reads each other's work and, and, and some, some copycat stuff can kind of start to happen. So I've always just said to myself, if there's 17 or 18 that are consensus and clear, don't doubt that. Don't look to be the exception to that. But after that, make it your own and and stand up for what you believe in and the things that you see and and trust yourself. So uh, that's where I'm at in terms of my comfort level as an evaluator. But it, it takes time to get there. I've been doing this for nine years. This is the ninth draft class that I've covered full time. Uh, and I, I've, I'm a, I'm a much different evaluator today than I was year one, two, three. Some of these, some of these guys that have a difference of opinion, uh, difference opinions on is the Russian factor. So there's two, uh, big Russian players that are in the top tier talent for most people in Denia, yeah. uh, Yurov and Ivan, uh, Miro Chinchenko. Uh, That's how, how do you pronounce that there? Uh, but with the world, the world and political climate, uh, over in Russia, is there, is there a big fear to drafting these players this season? I know Ivan, like you wrote in your thoughts after the lottery article, uh, you said Ivan has been wanting to come over to the USHL, uh, but they're not so sure on uh, Daniela. So what is your opinion on these two guys? Uh, you know, And then are they a, an opportunity for the Kings who have a deep prospect pool to pick at 19? Well, they're both interesting and, and for very different reasons. And their draft days are going to be complicated for different reasons. A, the combine is that none of, none of these Russian skaters were invited to the combine, which has started already in Buffalo and I'll be heading to in a couple of days. Um, so that's a, that's a, a piece of the puzzle. Teams aren't going to get to talk to them and potentially ask them the kinds of questions that they'd like to be asking them about what their plans are, what their hopes are for the rest of their careers. And then even beyond what they hope for, even if they want to come over here and they want to play over here, there's now this whole other layer of uncertainty after Russia's invasion of Ukraine about what control is going to look like from 
from the federations and in the KHL as teams try their damnedest to keep these players. And we've already seen it even before the invasion. We already saw it with Matt Benichkov and his KHL team pressuring him into staying long-term in Russia and staying well after he's going to be drafted next year at the top of the draft. Uh, so there, there's already for a long time been a push domestically in Russia to keep those players and to pressure the NHL into some kind of transfer agreement where they begin to have to pay KHL clubs for the rights to access their players and bring them over, which is something that the KHL is still working towards and hopes to implement. So um, that's uh, that's going to make it weird for Danila. Danila is on talent, uh, probably would have been sixth or seventh on, on my upcoming final list here. Uh, and because of everything that's going on is is going to be at the back end of that 10 to 12 group. And I suspect that's kind of where he's going to land on draft day. You're just going to come push to shove and teams are going to have to make a pick between a player that they like and maybe Danila who they like slightly more. And if they're not absolutely certain in that moment that they can get Yurov over here, maybe you just go with the other guy and he starts to slide five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten spots lower than he should. Uh, I think there's a real chance that that happens. And then with Mirish Nichenko, it's a completely different ball game because he was diagnosed this year with Hodgkin's lymphoma, the, the sort of viral blood cancer that we know that Mario Lemieux obviously fought and beat, but missed three years of his NHL career for. Uh, by all accounts, from what I've heard, it, his strand of, of Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, is treatable, it's curable, uh, it, it's one of the sort of quote-unquote, if you can call it that for cancer, one of the less severe uh, strands. So, I mean, you, you're hopeful, right, that he gets healthy, and that's first and foremost, and then the hockey kind of comes second. But at the end of the day, he, he, he was before all of this happened, also in that that group of 12. Some teams had him in the top five. He entered the year in the top three conversation. I think the way he was playing, he'd started to drift down lists uh, a little bit. And I kind of always believed he was more of a hovering around top 10 guy. But now with, uh, with his health, that's the greater uncertainty because he doesn't have the, the sort of Russian factor, if you will, that Yurov has. He's tried twice, two different years. He tried to come over and play in the USHL and just couldn't figure it out with his visa. Uh, so it's clear. I mean, Mirshnichenko wants to play in the NHL. He's got a huge agent, uh, a huge North American agent. Uh, so all of that is, is at play for him in a different way than it is for Yurov. And with him, it's just a question of how far will he slip due to the health concerns. And are teams willing to to take the chance and potentially wait three, four years on the hope and prayer that that he gets healthy and can can return to form. So uh, it's tricky for Mirishnichenko. I'm not convinced he's going to be a first rounder, even though obviously that's where the talent should, should have him land. But he's still going to be a high pick. There's going to be a threshold that every team has when they get through the players that they really like he's going to be that next guy that they take before they get into the players that they like a little less. So uh, it, he's he's the wild card. He's really the wild card of the first round. Another wild card we have, and, and we talked about a little bit on the last time we talked is you know, teams get into over-scouting, uh, is Brad Lambert. Um, really was a, uh, for the World Juniors uh, last year, kind of came on the map. Uh, we're thrown around with a couple teams, uh, with YJP and then with the Pelicans and then the World Juniors and they got canceled. So he was a little bit all over the place. 
uh, but has been falling down boards from a consensus top five pick to to where he is now. Do you think it's a little bit of overscouting on him, uh, being that he's been on the map for so long, or is his play warranted the the slide? Well, it's complicated because he. I think he would. I, I'm looking forward to talking to him about this. I've actually. I'm planning to sit down with him at some point between here and the draft and really hash out just his year and and who he is and try to make sense of it all with him. And as part of that, I think I expect that he'll tell me uh, if he's upfront about it. I think he'll he'd probably tell you or he should tell you that it wasn't a good year for him. Uh, so the, part of it's over scouting. I, I absolutely think that's true. I've talked about that at length. I think Jacob Chikrin, who had been on people's radars for forever, was overscouted into his draft year and fell too far. Uh, I think Timothy Liljegren, who was a big, big name in Sweden before he fell at the draft, was overscouted in the same kind of way. This often happens with players. You typically watch a draft eligible kid for two, sometimes three years. And when a kid has been around for four or five years before he's picked, that's a very rare thing. And it means that people are very familiar with him. And it's easy to begin to nitpick in a way that you don't with the new shiny toy that you're just being introduced to. So there, some of that has happened with Lambert for sure. Uh, but the concerns about his consistency and his playoff, the puck, those are real. He's a dynamic talent, one of the better puck handlers, shooters, and skaters in the draft. And those are three of the most important things in a, in a hockey player, as we all know. So uh, the, the skill is there. It's real. Um uh, and I, I think it projects. The question is just, can he get out of this funk? Can he earn the trust of his coaches? Can he get more ice time? Because he's going to need ice time and opportunity and trust to be able to score and create offense like he's capable of. So uh, that's the, the tricky situation. And then on top of that, and this hasn't been discussed, I don't think enough, is he started this year, uh, I've been told, with both an illness and an injury that really weren't reported on and played through an illness and an injury for the first month or so of the season. So I think while that happened and while his teammate at the time, Joachim Kemmel was leading Liga in scoring uh, and making Brad look bad by comparison, then you end up in a situation where Kemmel becomes the hotshot kid on that team. He moves mid season, almost as if to get away from Kemmel and, and sort of get more of his own shine somewhere else so that those comparisons aren't constantly there. And then even after the move back to the club that he grew up with, it just didn't really click with the new coach mid season. Uh, and he didn't really sneak his way into a prominent role in the lineup. And that, that just happens with trades. I, I think the same thing, has happened again and again in the OHL and CHL when kids get traded in their draft year. It's very difficult to uproot your life, move, new coach, new house, new setup at the rink, all of that. It just, it, there's an adjustment period. There's, I don't know how long it is. It's different for every kid, but it can be a couple of days and then you, you're off and running, or it can be a month that it takes you to sort of figure things out and that lost time and how bad you can look in that lost time while you're trying to figure out a new system and new line mates that can ruin a reputation. So I just think the move really hurt him. And then on top of that, things just didn't get off how he get off to the start that he wanted. And then he had such a nice showing in those two games at the world juniors and everybody started to get excited again. And then obviously the world juniors were canceled. Yeah. So uh, just tough break after tough break for him, and he never really seemed to find his groove. But the flashes were still there, and I, I still believe he's one of the most talented players in this draft. I mean, well, he, played his best, he played his best hockey with uh, two current Kings uh, draft picks, so uh, maybe we just need to 
to bring him on <laughs> he over. Did. We love this. I mean, the 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 it's, you hear adults and professionals talk about moving midseason as as being a pretty big adjustment. I think we forget sometimes these are still kids, you know, that yeah. they've got to they've got to make those types of adjustments. That's a that's a pretty big deal. And it can snowball when you've got the weight. That, yeah, I exactly. mean, if you're a seven if you're a seventh round pick, it's different than if you're Brad Lambert. Like he just know you just know that in the back of his head he's constantly thinking, I can't let this get off the rails. I can't get let this get off the rails, and then suddenly. It's off the rails, right? Yeah, exactly. So speaking of the Kings, they pick, assuming they keep the pick, they pick 19th. Um, what are some uh, some names that you maybe can see them targeting? Obviously, they've, they've been well-renowned as having a deep prospect pool as it is, loaded with forwards, although they've made some young defensemen, had some uh, made some noise this year. So um, again, assuming they keep the pick, what, uh, what are you thinking around the 19 pick for the Los Angeles Kings? Well, I think your best case scenario would be uh, one of the, the, probably the most likely faller out of my 12 that I really like is is Isaac Howard out of the National Development Program. I'm a big, big believer in Isaac. I think he's a menace in the offensive zone, uh, just in terms of his ability to finish plays. He's always open. He's got this sixth sense for finding space and just being open in the slot. It's unbelievable to watch. Uh, and then skill, he's fast, he's a little bit on the smaller side in terms of statue. He's five foot nine, five foot ten, but really, really thick, stocky kid. If you meet him in real life, he is muscular and well built and uh, sort of sturdy over his feet for that size. Uh, teams, I think, are going to let him slip a because he's a winger, b because he's small, uh, and centers and defensemen just get the premium selections at the top of the draft. And there are other wingers, Jonathan Lekermiaki, Joachim Kemmel, who I already touched on. Uh, those kids are going to be the, the wingers that people don't hesitate about. But I think once you get past those names, teams feel like a player like Howard is equal to to the next center or the next defenseman that's available. And I just think that he's going to be probably a, potentially available there and probably a cut above the, the centers in the D that are there. Uh, and I would just take him. Uh, so Howard's probably the kid that I would really keep an eye out on. Uh, but if, if the decision is to go defense, um, the, again, these two kids probably won't be there, but an absolute best case scenario would be one of Denton Matichuk or Kevin Kurczynski. Uh, I think you're hoping on a prayer that one of those kids is, is still around. They are, for me, the third and fourth bestie in this draft after Nemitz and Juracek. Uh, and if one of, I mean, both of them will will not be there, but if, if potentially one of them is available, uh, that would be a huge, huge get. Uh, so those are probably the three names that I would highlight as as a sort of cross your fingers, uh, a huge win. But if they're not around, uh, I would start to turn my attention to players like Rutger McGrory, the captain at the National Development Program this year. There are concerns about his skating, but everything else about his game is high, high end. Uh, he can really shoot it. He's an extremely intelligent player. Another kid who is really, really stocky. He's six foot, but he's stocky, stocky kid. Uh, lead by example, infectious personality. Like I, I fell in love with him, just sort of getting to know him through a story that I did on him earlier this year. Uh, so McGrory's a kid who I think will probably be available there that I, I really do like a lot. Uh, but otherwise, those those other three, Korchinski, Matichuk, and and uh, Howard would probably be my go-tos. And then someone like McGrory's probably a, a plan B. So the Kings... And it's been kind of a, a talked about often that they, they don't have a deep 
goaltending prospect pool right now. This isn't the draft to take a, a goaltender in the first round, but kind of a two-parter is I've always been somebody that I'm like, I don't love the idea of taking a goalie in the first round. And again, this isn't the draft necessarily to do it anyways. Is that still a thing? Is that a thing? Am, am I wrong on that? Is it? I feel like with goalies, you you tend to see them come out of the seemingly nowhere more frequently than other positions. So it's one that I think I'm more willing to gamble on later. And I guess to, to second part of that question is, are there goaltenders in that second, third, or later in this draft that you think could be something to, to, to throw into a prospect pool? Well, to answer the first question, I still think you can find goalies in the first round and you can get value there. I think we've seen it in recent years with Yaroslav Askarov, Yepper Wallstedt last year. Wallstedt was drafted too low. I still believe that today. And I think the Minnesota Wild got a steal there. Uh, and one of the things that uh, actually a source for the book told me uh, during my reporting process for the book uh, that I then did some research on is you, I think people, there's always been this belief that goalies tend to come from outside the draft or sixth, seventh round. And while that's true, and a lot of great goalies do, you'd be, I think people would be surprised how many goalies playing in the NHL today are, are first round picks or high second round picks. It's a, it's a big number. Um, Tuka Rask, Carey Price, you go down the list, the best goalies in the world tend to, tend to be Campbell, from right? Jack Campbell, that range. Jack Campbell, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, previously Roberto Luongo. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a long list. Um, but in saying that, I mean, there isn't that in this draft. And then to answer your second question, and this may disappoint Kings fans, I don't think there are hardly any goalies in this draft period. Uh, I write in my top 100 that this is the first time in nine years of doing this that I haven't had a goalie ranked in my top 100. Uh, there are goalies that will go in the second, third round. Uh, Linenin out of uh, Finland. Um, there's there's some some talent there. But by and large, I'm not a fan. And the goal, ironically enough, the goalies that I do like in this draft are the tiny kids that I think may not even get picked at all. Uh, there's a number of five foot eleven goalies in this draft that I actually quite quite like. Uh, there's a kid named Hugo Havlid who's quite good. Brett Brochu of the London Knights is quite good. Uh, but those are kids you're drafting round six, seven, not rounds two, three. Uh, and uh, the kids that are going to go rounds two, three, I'm just not a big believer in. So uh, it's it's tricky. I'm, I'm obviously goalies. I've always been up front. I try to be transparent in my work. Goalies are a little bit of a blind spot for me. I'm not an expert, so I tend to refer to others uh, and then trust my gut in terms of what I see on this. But there's just the numbers aren't there for any, pretty well any of the kids in this draft class other than the little ones. And I would add uh, Sergei Ivanov uh, out of Russia, another 5'11 goalie with who has some of the stronger numbers in the draft. Um, but the, yeah, there there isn't that six foot three, six foot four guy that everybody's clamoring to get in this group. That's just not how it is. And really, next year there isn't either. Uh, so we've I, we've been spoiled the last few with Spencer Knight and Askarov and Wallstead and Sebastian Kosa. Uh, and at least in the, this year and next year, it doesn't appear like there's going to be another guy like that. So the Kings have had done a, a decent job at getting some second and third round ge gems with Kaliev and Francisco Pinelli and Brock Faber, who have, who have blossomed mm -hmm. into some good prospects. Uh, I know that uh, with the deep pool, obviously they might trade away some of those picks like they did to get Victor Arvidsson. But if in the second and third round, who are some sneaky guys that have, you know, maybe some elite traits that that could be blossom into good players? 
Well, the two that immediately come to mind are David Goyette and Lane Hudson. Uh, David Goyette is a center who has played some wing, but is natural center uh, with the Sudbury Wolves, one of the fastest players in the draft. Uh, blew me away last summer at Canada's U18 camp that they hosted in place of the Helenka Gretzky Cup camp that they typically do in Calgary. And he has been a, a favor of mine ever since. Uh, he was a star in the OHL this year. I thought he should have won the league's OHL Rookie of the Year. He was the runner-up for it to Cam Allen, a top D prospect in next year's draft. Um, just a speedy, creative, talented player who I think is going to have the kind of breakout next season that we saw out of Arthur Kaliev and that we've seen in recent years in the OHL out of Connor McMichael, who had a 100-point season after he got drafted, and Philip Tomasino, who had a 100-point season after he got drafted. These were late first, early second round guys who really exploded. And I think Goyette's going to do the same. I think he's going to be one of the top producers in the OHL next year. And I think he's quickly, if he's drafted in the second round, going to go from a, a second rounder to sort of, okay, we this guy in a redraft should have been a late first kind of thing. So Goyette's probably at the top of that list and more likely to be available, less likely to be available, which is shocking considering he's a five foot eight defenseman, is Lane Hudson, who is a unicorn. We have never seen, uh, at least since uh, all of the players were under six feet <laughs> in the dawn of the NHL, we've never seen a player, a defenseman his size picked in the first round. Uh, the smallest play, the smallest defender in the NHL this year was uh, Jared Spurgeon. Uh, the second smallest, I believe, was Samuel Girard. Both of those guys are 5'9", 170 or so pounds. Lane Hudson's 5'8", and 150 pounds. Uh, if he gets to 160 and plays at that weight, that'll be a success for him. I've spoken at length with him about it. He struggles to put on weight and hold on the weight. He's one of those guys who just, his metabolism just burns through it. Um, so he's if he makes it, he's going to be singular in the NHL. And I think he's actually capable of being that. He is an unbelievable talent. He defends extremely well with his stick and his feet, despite being a smaller kid. And then offensively, as creative, a, a, a carrier and sort of adjusting around coverage as you'll see out of a defenseman. And I'm, I can't wait to watch him in university uh, playing the NCAA. I think he's going to be a star there. Uh, and beyond that, I, I think he's got a real chance to be a top six power play quarterback NHL defenseman who can hold his own defensively despite being that small. So uh, Hudson's a kid who actually could potentially go in the first round now, but if he's available in the second that's a, that's a no-brainer for me. So uh, Hudson and, and Goyette are probably the two guys that I would go to there, at least for the second round. They're, they're, the list gets a lot longer for the third round. Yeah. All right, well, you know, we went well over our time limit. I saw, apologize about, about that, uh, Scott, but definitely always fun talking to you about prospects. I know Kings fans are uh, excited about making the playoffs this year, so they're doing a little less scouting for the number uh, two overall or number five overall pick. And now we got to get back into the draft uh, mind here. Uh, again, uh, we'll talk about your book that's coming out or plug it, and then uh, we'll let you get out of here. Yeah, just, I mean, I, I said it all in the book. Can't wait to share it. I'm really proud of the the stories I've told, and uh, some of it is going to be all new to people, and that was the goal. The goal was to tell 20 stories about a team where every story has already been told in 50 different ways because it's the Maple Leafs, right? So uh, the goalie was to find... Uh, new stories and then tell the big ones that everybody thinks they know, tell them in a new way that, that might surprise people. So that, that I hope is the end product and just can't wait to, to have it in my hands in October.
Just what Toronto needs at the start of the hockey season, right? A little bit of, of drama from past draft stories, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there there is a little bit of that. There is definitely a little awesome. bit of that. Awesome. Well, again, I, as Brandon said, I really, really do thank you. And I, I, one last comment I'll say, because you had mentioned Akil Thomas as, as kind of your favorite out of the uh, the Kings, or one of your favorites of the Kings system. And, and mm -hmm. I don't know, you're a busy guy, but after his first 20 games, uh, he didn't do much. But once he got settled in and came back, he was a he was a force, uh, yeah. an, an impressive player. I don't know if you had a chance to catch anything of him, but uh, he looks very good at the at the tail end of that season for sure. Yeah, he's been through a lot in the last yeah. couple of years. So I, at this point, the the prognostication changes for him, and you just hope that he figures it out, stays on the path that he finished the year on, and and gets back to where he was, which was, I believed, a, a potential third-line, real contributing third-line player. So uh, it, there, there are a lot of those in, in the King system, a lot of guys who are going to be fighting and clawing for complementary roles in that top 12 forward group. Uh, but hopefully he can work his way back into the mix. Awesome. Thanks again, Scott. Really much appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks. Over to our sponsors here uh, for the Hockey Podcast Network in DraftKings. Let me read this here for you. Hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, unofficial sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoff in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets, no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win how many goals will be scored, and more. It is your shot at even a bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets. No matter what, that's code THPN. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details.